in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Thursday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, Super Bowl edition of Sandos Sidekick because everyone wants to hear the props that we're going to take on bold predictions. I've had three people ask, and you will get what you want, three people. And maybe only three people listen, but that's fine. They want to know, are we doing Super Bowl props? Are we going to do them? Yes, we are. I'm sure Mike has 37 of them. Because he's down by a billion. Do you have 37, Mike? I have close to 37 because I am down by a billion. So 37 is a bit short of a billion. But if I get all of them right and you get all of them wrong, at least it's momentum right to the final couple of weeks, where we will do another full predictions, special edition, annual thing that we do every year, of course, the Southern Conference Tournament brackets, men and women. All right, so we'll have fun doing Plenty that. Plenty of time to catch up in bold predictions. And speaking of tournament uh, stuff, well, let's show real quick. We will talk ETSU Sanford, the Saturday game. Uh, the Star Wars game inside Freedom Hall, 4 o'clock. We will talk about the Southern Conference, four downs, fail downs, bold predictions. That's the show, so let's get cranking. I would like if we – did we do the – we didn't do for a point or anything the SOCON standings at the end of the year. I don't think we've ever done it. We do it kind of internally, but we don't ever do it for the show. I'm wondering if we pulled those bad boys out, not for a point, but just to see how and what things have broken out because obviously – Thought Chet and Furman, I think I had ETSU right there at three. That's not looking good right now, right? Yeah. Uh, but then you're looking, okay, VMI, UNCG, Mercer, Wofford, Sanford, ETSU, even really the Citadel. Three through nine is a crapshoot. And honestly, I guess VMI could get hot and bump Furman down to a three. I think you're like me. think Chet will be one, Furman will be two. And you can jump in if you think that's wrong. But I think other than that, three through nine – could have a lot of shifting because VMI Mercer is going to play. And obviously, well, maybe not obviously, people may not know. The standings right now, VMI 7-5, then UNCG Mercer 6-6. Six and six. There's some games. This is Thursday, so there's some games going on tonight, Mercer VMI being the biggest one. Citadel UNCG is another one. But, I mean, if Citadel were to win and Mercer were to win, you're talking about VMI 6 losses, Green uh, Mercer 6 losses, UNCG, seven losses. Wofford, seven losses. Sanford, seven losses. Citadel, seven losses. ETSU, eight losses. I mean, it would jumble up the standings more than anything for the stretch run of the last five six, five or six games, depending on who you are, down the stretch that could really – I mean, there's going to be some jockeying for position. The only team that would really be in a bind is Western. But if Sanford were able to pull off the win on Saturday, then it's ETSU, Western Carolina, really battling out for – Hard to say, the ninth and 10th spot. Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about this in four downs because we do have some standing-related things and a couple of other items to get to. But it really does seem like there are three distinct groups. It's the top two, it's the middle six, and then it's Western Carolina. And if you go back to our predictions from before the year, yeah, I think I had Chattanooga Furman and ETSU. Um, obviously, ETSU is, well, while they've underperformed, they're still only two and a half games out of third. So I'm not willing to write off anything in terms of climbing the ladder, even for a team such as the Citadel, simply because they're only, what? I guess they're two and a half as well. Now, they've got 11 games played, while every other team at the moment has 12 or more, a couple of teams with 13. So they've got some games at hand, quote-unquote, but as you mentioned, already do have seven losses, so really the onus is on them to go and win those games so they can catch up. Um I don't remember what I did in the middle of the league standings, but I'm quite sure, just drawing on memory, that I love Neftali Alvarez, and I'm pretty sure that I had Mercer 4, 
which is looking pretty solid. I had UNCG, I think, seven, and I'm almost positive I had Wofford and VMI right there in the middle. But there's really so many things that can go on down the stretch that even talking about, at least in depth, different scenarios and who could finish where. And we're going to know a lot more after this weekend. I mean, heck, Sanford has to play, I believe it's like four games in seven days after ETSU. And all four of those are at home. And you're like, wait a second now. Is Sanford, say the Bulldogs roll into Freedom Hall and upset the Bucks, and we'll talk about the game in just a second. All of a sudden, they're sitting at six and seven with four of their final five at home. And much like many other teams in college basketball in the Southern Conference are a much better home team than a road team. They win three of those. All of a sudden, you're having Buckyball, who was one in six. I mean, left for dead, right? Like, he was headed towards another Sanford-type finish that they've had over the last decade. All of a sudden, they're contending for a top-four spot. So, um, this is a year ripe with parity, and I cannot stand it. I'm not going to go into – I swear I will not hop in my soapbox and go on a tangent. I'm not going to freak out. But I saw a couple people the other day say, ah, you know, chat, lost that second game in the league. Such a down year for the SoCo. You know, there's no dominant team. And, you know, it's just – it's sad to see because you had – ETSU the one year Wofford and UNCG a couple of years. Ah, a league that's just not going to be one of those that's going to make any noise. And you know how I feel about takes like that in conferences like this <laughs> where there's a lot of teams bunched up. They keep beating up on each other. That's called parity. That's not called having a down year. That's all I'm going to say about it because I'm trying to stay calm because it's very early in the show. And I want to get worked up for bold predictions, not about this. <laughs> Well, I say this: you look at Sanford, and that's the next opponent. So I think it's a good point to, to jump in on. And you mentioned the one and six, which I had on my notes for their last five. Now, most were wins at home. Mercer went at home, seventy-five, sixty-one, right? Then at Western, seventy-four, sixty-four. Chat was the eye opener, no doubt. right? In in Birmingham, eighty to seventy-two. A loss to the Citadel. So I rattled that off, and and that's the one. That, Stuck out, but 107-93. And then the overtime win last night over Wofford. Another good basketball team. I know there's only one thing that you want to talk about from that game. Well, there's a a couple things. Because I I watched a majority of the first half and then honestly didn't watch the second half until I got a message that, uh, hey, there was an ejection in the game. So, of course, I go, what do you do when you hear there's an ejection, right? You, You immediately go, or us as media guys, and I don't know how everybody fans do it when you hear his ejection, but I go straight to the live stats, the play-by-play, find exactly where all the brouhaha is, and then you fast-forward exactly to where it is. And it's one of those magical moments where everything was right for me, but the exact place I clicked on was where they were in the review of what happened. So I didn't have to you know, rewind a whole lot to find that point in the game. And I, it's one of those where... I just complained Monday about some of the things I thought weren't good about the officiating. I'm not crushing the officials. I was more upset that they didn't put a different group of officials in the game Monday for ESPNU and everything that that came with. This one was an odd one because there was a, for those that don't know, I'll try to break it down for you, 14-32 to go in the game. And Quez Glover gets a steal. He's going in for a, a basically a, a uncontested layup. Larson tracks him down from behind. A foul from behind where he tries to grab him. The old unimpeded to the hoop, intentional foul type deal where it's two shots in the ball. Referee clearly blows his whistle about uh, top of the key, three-point arc-ish. Glover continues to take it. I don't know because first time I watched it, in fairness, I didn't hear the whistle the first time. And so I watched it through not hearing the whistle. So I'm watching Glover go in to try to either dunk it, two-hand layup, and Bigelow comes from behind and hard fouls. Now, not an elbow to the face or anything. He wasn't going for the ball. ball, But it was was what I've talked about on air a lot. Making a hard foul, not a dirty foul, not a cheap shot. I felt like it was a hard foul. Glover does go to the ground hard, but not really, I think, because – Bigelow was malicious in the contact, and you saw the play. You, I think you're agreeing with me. It's not wasn't no, wasn't malicious. malicious. No. It was a hard foul. And then Jaden Campbell and Jermaine Marshall come in and you know take umbrage to the point that their star player got knocked to the floor. And I'm, I'm you know, and then you get the dust up. 
and the no you hold me back, no you hold me back routine. And then they go to the monitor. And it's a seven and a half minute review. And I'm all right with let's try to get it right if we're giving multiple things. And I realize they had to look and see. Did anybody come off the bench? Which it appeared, watching it several times, I'll try to go back. It did. It looked like the Sanford, and they have more staffing than any program maybe ever invented in college basketball, even at the high levels. And they did a great job of keeping people where they're supposed to be. So I credit that, first of all, that nobody came off the bench and did anything. Because even if you step on the floor, right, it's automatic, or all that other Well, the players are outnumbered, like two to one, right. because some of them were already on the court, and they've got like 20 guys on staff. You're so right. it's right there in the corner. They come back, and the only thing I come up with, and I've sent a message to a couple of college referees that I know, and they came back with Larson picked up the, you know, the flagrant one, basically a technical, for the unimpeded to the hoop which was the right call. And then they gave a technical foul to Campbell and to Marshall because they came and escalated. Fine with that. Bigelow didn't pick up one technical foul. He picked up two, and then it was ejected from the game, which you have two technicals, that's automatic for a player. I get that part of it, but I'm very confused. The second technical, I'm assuming, is from the brouhaha. That seems obvious because of there were two. The first one, though, I, I don't. I think they're stuck on what to do because the foul was called already on the intentional flagrant. So it has to be a dead ball situation in hoops, which I guess you can't give another intentional or flagrant or something. So you can only make that a technical, which I don't think should have been. Glover goes in hard, playing it as it's real. Bigelow goes in hard, playing as, as it's real. Now, unfortunately, the defensive guy is going to get penalized every time. But the offensive guy is almost always going to be a smart aleck and go on in and try to shoot it. And you know he's going to do that. So the defense guy's like, no, you're not. You're not going to score this. So he's going to protect the rim, whatever. It's how the Kansas-Kansas State fight broke out. I mean, I mean, basically, the, the Kansas State could have dribbled out the clock, the Kansas guy commits the foul, then they get the brew hot, and really could have been avoided. This could have been avoidable if Quez Glover would have just after the foul, if he wouldn't have got in hard to dunk it. He would have just kind of lazily went in there and kind of flipped the shot up like I think it would have been would have been tamed. But that being said, I thought it was egregious that Bigelow picked up two technical fouls, was ejected, and I'm trying to get a, you know the league to comment on it. Uh, is he going to have to sit out again? Because I, I know a coach can be reviewed. We all know this, right? The old Wesley Miller, after Steve Forbes got the rule change, and everybody's still mad about that, Steve Forbes, ETSU coach, got the rule change. You can't be mad at Wesley Miller in the league when Coach Forbes was the one who instituted the rule change. I would be appalled if I'm Wofford. Not only did my guy have to sit, but he's got to sit again. That being said, I watched the I mean, I watched the rest of the second half but to see if it got chippy. Everyone, you know, tempers came back down. Uh, Logan Dye got a technical foul for really just arguing with the referee, so that wasn't that big a deal. I mean, it wasn't because of guys really getting into it or something. So that being said, I thought Sanford did a nice job of really kind of dominating the glass. And there were some whistles late. I thought both, again, were terrible. There's a couple offensive fouls. We talked about that last week, right? There was one that went for each team, so I'll give it. There were back-to-back offensive foul calls, which were just totally – I thought laughing. Can I, can I interject for a second? I love that you try to transition away to officiate it, and 15 seconds later you're right back on officiating. You and wanted to talk about the game, but then you're right back And in. then they call two fouls <laughs> late in the game, and they shoot free throws, but everybody hits the free throws. But Sanford in overtime, it was really rebounded. I, I thought, you know, the final numbers, I know it'll say Wofford won the battle on the glass, but Jacob Tryon had a couple of huge offensive rebounds at the end of regulation, which led to – what was a two-point lead with, you know, 20 seconds left. Then uh, uh, Klesman gets fouled. He 9% free-throw shooter. The second free-throw kind of hangs on the rim, goes down. Glover got a terrible shot off uh, at the end of regulation. Um, similar, I think, to what Brewer did against Wofford, more of a step back, going away. They didn't need a three. Got black. Then in overtime, Sanford did a nice job of driving, dishing, got some dunks, got some layups, got fouled. And Wofford had a chance. With about 15 seconds to go, Klesman just hit a three the previous possession. They got a stop, and he takes a three to try to take the lead with six seconds, misses it. Then Sanford, who was up uh, by two, was able 
get a couple free throws, and he got another free throw. He ended up winning by five. But I, it was, I thought, a great – and, again, uh, playing the last 14 minutes about Bigelow I thought was huge um, for Wofford because, uh, I mean, he had played 18 minutes. I guess he only had two points. He's been a difference maker, though. But he he's, he's, a, he's a different – I mean, he's a guy that they counted a lot on. Even if his numbers weren't great to there, having it there. And I'll give credit to Sanford. It was the first time I had seen a student section at a game. I don't know if you noticed that. It was actually a student section. It looked like there were human beings that were of college age that were in the stands that were into the game and yelling at Wofford. So credit to Sanford. probably altered the background to make it appear that way. I don't think you actually saw that. I and mean, it, to be fair, I had to look at it a couple times to make sure that there were actually people. We'll look again and make sure okay. that that's not Photoshop. Um, and, and it always seems like whenever they roll in Murray Bartow as the color guy, there's always something that goes awry. Um, and, and it was classic Kurt Bloom. You know, you're, we like Kurt, but, yeah. but Kurt, Murray Bartow just said, hey, you know, if they hit this free throw, they're up four, they're not going to foul. But if they miss it, it's a three-point game, they're going to foul. So he hits the free throw four, there's a timeout. Kurt Bloom, four seconds later. Murray, they're up four. You think they'll foul? <laughs> I just chuckled. And in fairness, I have been that guy that have asked the dumb you question after. I, I have I have done that. And so I say that not to make fun of Kirk, but I say that to, to know that sometimes as soon as you say that and the guy looks at you, you go, you just said that, didn't you? I've had that moment. I feel you, Kirk, and go. It was a, an entertaining game, and again, I think Samford and Buckyball is trying to turn some stuff around. They are nine and two at home. Now they're going to be playing Freedom Hall. They're four and seven. Last time ETSU played Samford, uh, Marshall didn't go. I thought that was a, a, a huge for the rebounding situation uh, for Samford. Didn't have him, although they won the rebounding war. Logan Dye went bonkers, right? He had twenty points. It was a career high for uh, Jaden Campbell. He had twenty points in that contest for Samford against ETSU in that first matchup. So, obviously, Bucks did a great job, I thought, on Glover in the first round. I think it was 4 15. I don't know. 12 points was it. Yeah, right. 4 15. So, I thought ETSU did I think he was 0 for from 3, although he's not a particularly great 3 point shooter. I think he was 2 for 8 in the game last night. He was 0 for 4 against ETSU, but 4 15. So, the Bucks can make it hard on Glover. They can get rebounds. They got a shot. I think it's going to be a little different for Sanford. A, they got some momentum, won four or five, but also having Marshall back inside as one of the league's best rebounders. If he's not still the leading rebounder in the league, he's still top two or three. So getting him back for Sanford I think will be huge where ETSU has been better rebounding the last two games. They've gang rebounded. They've tried to block people out. But if they don't block out Marshall, he's going to be able to get some offensive rebounds, and that's where Sanford can kill you. Let's talk about what they're trying to turn around because you alluded to it. Now, obviously, their season as a whole is what they're trying to turn around, but they're going about it a very interesting way. And I think the three-game winning streak before they lost to the Citadel, they move out of the cellar, right? And they do so in logging three of their five lowest three-point shooting totals of the year. They tried 19, 16, and 23. And one of the other two lowest three-point totals was the game before against UNCG, in which they only lost by three. Also, in the second and third wins of that stretch, 25 and 27 free throws, two of their top three games and attempts this season. And you look, last night against Wofford, they tried 21 free throws. So, again, over 20, not quite 25 or 27, but approaching that number, and threes taken, 24, which is pretty low for them. So, you look at those two things and add that to a three-game stretch in which they averaged just 10 turnovers per game down from their league-worst 14 per game, and you're starting to see that, I'm not sure if it's intentional, I'm not sure if Buckyball is doing some re-examining of Buckyball itself and doing some reflection and saying, hmm, I'm not sure that the first year and a half that I was here this really worked. Let's tweak a thing or two and see how we can put it together. To me, how they put it together was being more aggressive, taking better shots, and playing cleaner offensively, and the turnover margin, so looking at what they forced as well, they were plus 20 during that three-game stretch. They were minus 34 the rest of the year entering that Wednesday game against Wofford, and they did turn it over a lot that day, but they also forced 18 turnovers. Turned it over 16 times and forced 18, so they were plus two that day. You're right, ETSU did a great job of containing Quez Glover. Now, the 12 points he scored 
was part of a five-game stretch in which he did not get to 20 points, his coldest scoring stretch of the season. The rest of the year, 10 20-point games, including three of his last five. So I'm not sure it's going to be as easy on Saturday as it was, especially with Marshall back, as you mentioned. Now, he's coming off a 7-for-24 game as Glover from the floor. He's not your most efficient player. He's not going to be, you know, 50, 52% every night from the floor. And he is a dynamic talent. We know that he's top five in the league in both scoring and assists. He's one of the best offensive players probably at the mid-major level. On a given night, he had 30 against the Citadel, which was a career high just a week ago. So I have loved, honestly, what Sanford has done over the last two weeks because you know how much I have hated watching Buckyball and how much I have hated seeing what they do to teams where they're blowing them out, 91s, in games where there are 200 combined points and you somehow lose. It's not a winning style of basketball. But if Bucky can take some of those principles and just mold them a bit, Right? You're not changing it. It's not going to not have the stamp of Bucky McMillan on it. You're just taking a sample size, which at this point is pretty large, seeing a lack of overall success, and then the last couple of weeks instituting a new thing or two. And to me, whether it's been intentional or not, and my hope is it is, because for Bucky McMillan and Sanford, it would be nice to have some success over an extended period of time, especially down the stretch going to the Southern Conference Tournament with some momentum, feeling good about yourself, feeling confident. But whether it's been intentional or not, props to the players because they are clearly executing better and they are taking maybe what Bucky McMillan has tried to institute, and whether it's them or the coach or both, they're seeming to find a better way to do it. I'm glad you touched on free throws because I thought that was a difference maker in the first game. Sanford just had nine free throw attempts. They were six of nine, each issue 11 of 15. Bucks hit double-digit threes, so did Sanford, each issue 13, 11 for the Bulldogs, each issue out-rebounded Sanford. It really did a nice job with 13 offensive rebounds. Mo Yasser with five offensive boards, four offensive boards for Ty Brewer's second. Uh, chance points were 20 to eight in favor of ETSU. That's where I think Marshall could be a difference maker for Sanford in this game, and ETSU will have to work a little harder to get some of those boards. It was also an interesting game because both starting fives were in double figures. Sanford and ETSU in the Bucks 88-85 win in Birmingham. And I think that was the last time all five starters were in double figures until last game for ETSU. So I don't know, you know how that symmetry will or will not work out. Hard to always judge teams when they play Wofford just looking at ETSU, the only team – I'm going to use this in air quotes, that they've held under 70 points in league play has been Wofford twice, but that's really because I think the style Wofford plays. Correct. And again, in overtime, Sanford has 65 points. So it, it's a, it's one of those deals. I don't think this is going to be a – and I know ETSU last couple games have been better defensively. They've been better rebounding. And Furman, who's had a, after the you know just that ridiculous five-game stretch offensively, they've had a little bit of offensive woes themselves. They still got to 71 points against ETSU. So I feel like this is going to be a 70s-type game. If it gets in the 80s, does ETSU have enough gas now? Because, And I realize they played eight guys in the first game, but Bonnie Patterson gave you 14 minutes. Now those 14 minutes are gone. they got to be, unless Cordell Charles is healthy, um, which he's not played in the last three games because of the ankle. So if not, then... Charlie Weber gave you 20 minutes as well, and he's playing... He's giving nine or ten, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, you know, Yasser's going to give you about 20 at 18. That's about right on there. But you're talking about 34 minutes from Bonnie and Charlie going down to 10 minutes, 9 minutes, 8 minutes, depending on if Weber can stay out of foul trouble, if I heard Coach on the radio uh, on the Sports Monster at Blackship Station on Wednesday, right? So, you know, Sloan had 10 assists in that game. Bucks did a nice job um, of a lot of things doing, but they hit a lot of shots. King had five made threes. Brewer had – Ladarius had five made threes as well. So that's ten of your 13. And then it was Campbell on the other side. He was six of seven, the career high. It's still his best scoring day at the Division One level of 20. And Logan Dye was an animal inside. ETSU really didn't have an answer for Logan Dye. And they didn't have an answer for Jacob Tron when he was in as well. I think Tron shot a couple threes on reason why I think he struggled a little bit from the field uh, from ETSU. So I, I think – Marshall and rebounding, if I was going to point to a couple things, I was going to hit Marshall being in the game and his presence on the glass when ETSU had second-chance points. 
You mentioned the free throw shooting. It is interesting to see the fact that they have gone away from just a lot of threes. They also aren't as pressing as much as they were. Now, they still do it, but they're not doing it as much as early in the season if you watched any of the games earlier this year. So it seems to be they are evolving into how can we win, what can we do. And I think the confidence level for uh, Bucky McMillan and his squad, at least in league play, is about as high as it's probably been. A, a four out of five stretch. He didn't have that last year in league play. Um, it's the best they've got right now. They're going to go on a road. They know they're better at home. They're going to get a lot of games at home. They felt like they probably let one slip away against ETSU with no Marshall and everything. I'm sure they're telling themselves that. So if that's the case, because Glover didn't play well, no Marshall, if they can come into John City and win, they're like, guys, we're 9-2 and two at home. We get four consecutive at home. Now, they're going to be, you know, I would say they're going to be against some, some pretty good teams that would be a little concerning, but they beat the best team in the league, Chattanooga, already at home. They beat Mercer at home. Now they're going to take on VMI, UNCG, Citadel, Furman. I mean, they've got an opportunity to rattle off, you know. Three of those four, I think. Exactly. I think three and one. If they go three and one in that, and I don't care who they lose to and who they beat, but if they go three and one in that and they're able to pick up a win against ETSU, it's four and one going in the chat game. And even if they lost that, they go four and two. That would be a great close to the season. I mean, you're talking about a seven and three last ten. be spectacular for Bucky. I need TSU. Just tell me if this is a team that's played good enough to win the last seven games in which they're two and five, right? Single-digit turnovers every game. They're averaging just seven turnovers per game in the last seven. Double-digit threes, five of those games. 47% or better from the field, four of them. Now, here's the problem. Their last six, taking out the Mercer when they've given up double-digit threes every game, have allowed opponents to shoot 47% or better in four of them, allowed 15 or more assists every game. To me, it's on one side of the ball, and this is not breaking news. I just love putting stats to perception. One side of the ball, they're playing as good as you could possibly hope, right? Seven turnovers per game is a really small number. And when you're hitting double-digit threes, you're going to rack up points pretty quick if you're not giving the ball away. Offensively, they're playing absolutely good enough to win. And defensively, obviously, as we've seen, even when they get ahead big, there are long long lapses. I mean, Furman erased that 13-point lead at halftime in eight and a half minutes. It was in a snap. It was unbelievable. Offensively, lately, the big four, as they are going to have to be, and David Sloan has maybe been a little bit low the last four in terms of scoring, but he's also averaging like seven and a half assists per game over the last six or seven. But you've got Jordan King averaging 19 per game over the last eight. Ladarius Brewer over the last eight, 19 per game. And this is what I love about his game, and I mentioned it a little bit Tuesday, but double-digit shots every game after not taking double-digit shots seven times in the first 18 games of the year. To me, he is still the most dynamic offensive player that ETSU has. And that can be debated, no question, because David Sloan, as Desmond Oliver said many times, is one of, if not the best point guard in not only the SOCON, but all of mid-major basketball. Because of his ability to distribute, obviously he's a great shooter. But when he's in a zone, he is a bulldog, right? He can absolutely break a game. But I think Ladarius Brewer, even looking at Jordan King, right? Jordan King, great shooter. He can attack, too. He can do some other things. But he doesn't have maybe that complete offensive game, really just a score. Ladarius Brewer can do absolutely everything on the offensive end. He can exert his authority inside. He can shoot it with the best of them from outside. And he also, as we saw with the beautiful dish to Jaden Seymour down low late on in the game Monday, he can make some incredible passes. He has excellent vision. He is at every level, if you put the entire package together, the Bucks' number one option. And just look at the last eight, as I mentioned. Being more aggressive, shooting 44% from three, 28 of his 56 free throws this year have come in the last eight games. There is a clear thing, a clear objective that he should have, and it is getting to the hoop. Coach Oliver's talked about posting him up more. They've done that a lot more. He is a threat inside. Unfortunately for the Bucs, he's one of their only threats inside right now. But he thrives in that way, so that's totally fine with me, if we're honest. The big thing that I think ETSU needs to do in this game is continue to play team basketball and build off what they did Monday. 17 assists on 23 field goals, assisted on 74% of those makes. Just the second time they've done that this season. 
and the first against Division One opponents. They're two and zero in those games. So when I go back to has this team played good enough to win, it's a little bit more of a complicated answer than the offensive numbers would make you believe. But when you have Ladarius Brewer and Jordan King both averaging 19 per game, you've got Ty Brewer who's double digits eight of his last ten, and you've got David Sloan feeding all of them and then stepping up in big moments when he needs to, and that's what I think he's done so well, knowing when he should be the one and then knowing when he should feed the one. When he's doing that, with that high basketball IQ that we know he has, then this offense, at least with those four, is about as unstoppable as it gets. It comes down to, as you mentioned at the outset of our conversation, is there enough gas in the tank to do enough on both ends? Because obviously the defensive end, as we've seen over time with this team and throughout the history of basketball, defense will get you as far, if not further, than offense. Last six second halves, as great as they've been offensively, they're still giving up over 50% in the last six second half shooting. Last team they held under 50% was Mercer at home, and the game before that was Sanford. So they went two games in a row with under 50%, two wins, right? Then the last six teams have shot over 50% in the second half. They've got one win. Last eight games, Ladarius Brewer, I think, has turned into the player they thought he would be. 17 points, 18 points, 20, 22, 22, 18, 16, 20. Averaging 19 point, whatever it is, 19 point something. But still, that's what I think you thought you were going to get. He's also had a couple of double-doubles during that stretch as far as getting rebounds. He is shooting 44% from the floor. He is shooting 44% from three. I think he's been more vocal at shoot-around. He's gotten on guys and not in a way that, you know, sometimes guy. we've all seen a leader that yells the yells. He's yelling, you know, things about this. He's almost like T.J. Cromer. He's, as they're going over the scouting report, he'll interrupt the coach, yell at somebody, you're supposed to do this. You know they're going to do this. I need you to do this. Coach, run it back. And then he's running practice, taking ownership of it. And he's done that to last two or three games. And I think it's either it's dawned on him that this stretch run's coming to the end for him and he's going to move on and, and try to make some money and play professionally. And he's not liking the way it ends or it's just dawned on him like, hey, nobody else is talking, I need to do it. Whatever it is, the turnaround in him I think has been great. The issue he's had great first half, the issue is he's playing a lot of minutes and, and – Get a little tuckered out, to be honest with you. So the, the problem moving forward is, you know, can he carry you in the first half? He's going to continue to do that. If that's the case, then can Sloan, can King, can younger brother Brewer step up to carry the load? And that will be kind of the curious answer. I think Ty Brewer defensively has been great. The rebounding the last two games, ETSU has clearly been working on trying to check somebody everybody's got to crash the defensive glass. Nobody run out, try to get a layup or whatever. And then ETSU, when they're able to run, when they get a rebound, I think it's great. They throw it ahead, try to get numbers, or they take a clean three in transition, which Coach Oliver obviously encourages, and ETSU honestly is pretty good at it. So I'm curious to see if Ladarius Brewer can continue the way he's been playing offensively. Can Ty Brewer continue to do what he's doing defensively and then can the Bucks rebound? So a lot of things to look at, but the margin for error for the Bucks is not a lot just because there's not that many bodies. If you get an off day from Sloan, it's going to be a tough day. Get an off day from one of the Brewers, it's going to be an off day. King, I mean, four of the five starters, you're, you're going to need to score their average or better or combine to be better than what the averages are, which means somebody goes off, maybe somebody has a little less but they need to be a little bit more what their average is. And if they can get Seymour and Yasser and Weber to combine for 20 like they did last game, then that's great. If you can get the other three to give you 20, you know the starters are going to give you, you know, 50 points. And you can get to 70, you got a shot to win some games. But they got to get defensive stops. they got to be able to stop people in the second half, and that will be the question. And I'll say this. They have looked like a more interested group on the defensive end the last two games since the Western Carolina no game. I really think they have. And that's encouraging to see because if you are just playing one end of the court and you're doing it essentially with four main guys and there's spotty contributions elsewhere, you're not going to be able to get it done every day. And you're going to be lucky to get it done, you know, in a regular season like ETSU has conference regular season, what, seven, eight times? 
it's very, very difficult. So the more you're able to maximize your energy on both ends, however you find a way to do that, 100% agree. There's a much higher likelihood of victory. The last question for you. ETSU had three double-digit streaks going in the season. Two have gone down the tubes. This is the last one. Can the Bucks keep the double-digit streak going? I think they do, and do you know the only streak longer than this one that is left against a Division One team? The longer, the longest, second-longest streak, I guess. Is Sanford. The first longest is... Sandus and the sidekick. And you know it's not Chattanooga, so you right. know there's only one other team that it could be. A uh, familiar foe. Familiar foe. Maybe not in basketball. Mercer? No. Because you know conference streaks are only three double digits. <laughs> oh, that's right, that's right. Oh, uh, Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State! Uh, yeah, 17 in a row yeah. against the Owls. Woohoo! Kennesaw State and yep. then Sanford, the lone double-digit yep. ones left. Of course, it's Kennesaw State. You suck at basketball. You're so terrible. <laughs> All right. That's segment one. When we come back, we're going to talk more Southern Conference and some fail downs after this. And it's kick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Luxuriously designed. Exquisitely detailed. First in its class. Corner to corner, a true work of art. Capable of going from zero to $300,000 in a few seconds flat. Are we talking about a sports car? Oh, no. We're talking about Jumbo Bucks Premium Edition Instant Games from the Tennessee Lottery. So test drive the new gold standard and instant tickets today. The Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One, two, three. Four. 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 store for us. First down. VMI is 7-5 and five in the league. They are currently third in the Southern Conference as we enter our SoCon heavy four downs. Their remaining schedule is Mercer at home, the Citadel at home, Sanford on the road, Chattanooga on the road, Wofford at home, Western on the road. I'll say it again. Mercer at home, Citadel at home, Sanford on the road, Chattanooga on the road, Wofford at home, Western on the road. The Kedets will finish as a top three team. Yay or nay? Nay. Wow! They've got a full game lead over UNCG and Mercer. Nay. You need to talk more than just I don't yes. have to. Yes. You so said yay or nay. this segment to be 90 nay. seconds long? Maybe. Keep going. Maybe. I mean, maybe we've got something else to do. Maybe you don't have the knowledge since you think that Mercer is the other double-digit winning streak than Bucks. <laughs> well, that was terrible. I did a lot of terrible. That was terrible. Uh, considering I think one streak's one. Um, that being said, I... I I have a sneaky suspicion that if you had to have me guess which team would be the three seed right to second, my guess would be UNCG, which would be an unpopular pick amongst everybody. But I would go with UNCG would be my three seed. UNCG's remaining schedule. Mm-hmm. The Citadel at home tonight. Mm-hmm. Mercer at home. Mm-hmm. I think those are wins. At Shat. Okay. I'll give that a loss. At Sanford. That's a win, though. I think the style of play, style of play. Home to Western, home to ETSU. They get four and two, finally they got a shot. So that would put, if UNCG is the three, the three seed at ten wins. If VMI is able to win, let's say, five of their last six, because you look at the schedule, think Mercer at home tonight, that should be a win for them. Should be. Should Should be. Because they're better at home, so percentages are going to say yes, that would be one. The Citadel at home, that should be a win. That's, just, that's two. At Sanford, that should be a win. Should. Should. Just like UNCG, that's a little bit of a toss-up. Agreed, agreed. At Chat, that's a loss. Home to Wofford. Clash of styles. I'm going to give the edge to VMI simply because they're at home. At Western should be a win. That would put them at 12-6. and six, And I mean, it would if they, be their second most league wins in program history. And you know I'm a Dan Arrow guy. I, to Waf- Wofford is one of those teams that seems to have Traditionally, now I know there's some things this year, and ETSU has broken a lot of traditions this year, so it's hard to look at that. 
but I, I just feel like VMI is going to land around the 10 and 8 mark, and that's about where they're going to be. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like they're going to be 10 and 8. I think UNCG and VMI, I can see UNCG and VMI tying, and I'd have to, I think they have they played a second time. I think they split, did they not? I have to go back and look at that. But, you know, you have to go into some other tiebreakers from there. But I kind of feel like VMI will not drop past a tie for fourth. They did split. So they split, and you have to go, all right, where did chat, what did they do against chat, blah, blah, blah. Which I don't have enough time to do all that. I, so I think VMI is going to settle in either um, third or fourth. And if they're in fourth, I'm thinking they would be in a tie for that. But I like UNCG. To win a lot of games down the stretch late, just because I, I just feel like it, the teams that they get to play match up style-wise more with them. Because you could see now, I think it's obviously not these 100 percent, but I could see Mercer winning at VMI. I could see Wofford winning at VMI. I could see VMI losing a couple of others. Now I could see VMI going four and two in that stretch as well. So that being said, you asked me to say yay or nay. I say nay. I say UNCG. Thank you for elaborating. Both teams are 14 and 10, VMI and UNCG. VMI's 14 wins already their most since 2013-14. Second down. A team in the bottom four will finish in the top four at season's end. The bottom four right now, Sanford at 5 and 7, ETSU at 5 and 8, the Citadel at 4 and 7, Western Carolina at 3 and 10. So they're all about a game or game and a half back, give or take. Uh, the UNCG and Mercer at six and six. Can one of those? Yes, uh, I think one can. Or are you asking me who would be that one? Well, I know you're going to say if it's one of the teams that's going to be the colors that you're wearing right you're now. Right right it is. It is. Okay. So ETSU, the rest of their schedule is Sanford, of course, at home. Star Wars night, fan appreciation night, four two three, four three nine, three eight seven eight. That's it. Look at that. Look at you. Look at you. At Mercer, at Citadel, home to chat, at UNCG. Three of the last four in the road, and you're saying the Bucs are going to get to, what, eight wins, nine wins? What do you think it'll take? Are you going to ask me a chat question? Because I don't want to leapfrog if you're going to talk about chat. There is a chat question. Okay, then I will not jump into that. But there is, if ETSU can get the two home games, and they get two of the three road games, they can get to that 10 and 8, right? Or would that be 10 and 9? Or uh, 9 and 9. Be 9 and 9. And you think fourth will be nine and nine? You got to go essentially four and two. No, that doesn't make sense. What right. are they right now? Five and eight. Five and eight. They got to go four and one in their last five. Right. So you go nine and nine. Four and one. Like I said, if you get you get your two home games, right? Then you got to win two on the three, two out of the three on the road. You had tight game Sanford. You had tight game everybody except for chat. But we'll get to chat later. But that being said, I, yes, I can see ETSU getting that one. Third down. We talked. Comeback Player of the Year or Freshman of the Year. We talked all the awards, whatever the awards are in the Southern Conference, Player of the Year, Freshman of the Year, all of that. We talked about that, I think it was last week on this same segment, not exactly the same segment, but kind of the same segment where we break down the Southern Conference. We did not talk Coach of the Year. Lamont Paris will be the Southern Conference Coach of the Year. Uh, boy, I tell you what, I think if he wins out, I think no doubt. I know it was our guy Dan Earl last year, was it not? It was your guy Dan Earl, yes. My guy, yeah, you hate him. Um, I love him. He's great, but he is your guy. So uh, if VMI were to get into second, it would be tough not to go back-to-back Dan Earl. Agreed. If Chat wins the rest, though, it would be tough not to give it to Lamont Paris, even with with the roster. So Okay, follow-up third down. down. The Southern Conference Coach of the Year will come down to February 19th when Chattanooga and VMI play. It's, it's at VMI? It is at Chattanooga. It's at Chattanooga. Ooh, that's tough. That is tough. Uh, if, yes, if VMI wins that and, again, he gets into second place, yes, I think Dan Earl should be the – I think it's it's those two. I thought Bob Ritchie for a minute. And, again, Furman could win out and Chat could hit a rough patch here. And then, I mean, it's three-horse race. I, I think if I had to handicap it, Paris one, Earl two, Richie three. But that being said, if Furman were able to get into the one seed, which they're going to have a chance to play Chattanooga Saturday, Richie's got to be in the conversation as well. Another follow-up third. Third down. Chattanooga will close 
their final five with a losing record. They will have two wins or fewer at Furman, home to UNCG, home to VMI, at ETSU, home to Stanford. Well, my answer is yes. Of course I'll be under five. They're going to go on five, aren't they? Yeah. I could I'll, see go them, one, I'll go one and four. I could see them losing, obviously, at they Furman. Can, they think, lose at Furman. I think they're going to lose to Furman. They can lose at ETSU. From what it sounds like, Silvio DeSosa maybe won't be back as soon as they think. So that that's why I'm leaning that way, too. UNCG and VMI at home, I don't think those are automatic wins. Especially UNCG, just weird what they do. Without Sosa, they are winning. They, that, that gap is a lot closer. Correct than what everybody's been doing. So you're seeing a lot of closer games. They're not as dominant on the inside. So Chad is much more beatable with the Sosa out lineup. I think that's easy for anybody to look at and see. That so if he's set. out for an expended uh, – oh, no, that means set. What do you got? They won any of their last nine. So that's pretty bad. Yeah, but they're close <laughs> to what they were. Okay. All right, go ahead. Fourth down. Back-to-back years, it's been one versus seven in the Southern Conference Tournament title game. The two years before, it was one versus two. We get back to one versus two this year. No. Are you saying that because Furman is going to be the two and you will never pick them to go? That to is correct. That, that is correct. That is correct. I think. I think um, again. I just for whatever reason. And honestly, I would say that even even if Furman is the three, and I would say whoever the two is, I just for what I don't think the league was when it was one and two last several years before that. It was pretty evident. I think one and two. I mean, even when HSU fell to the four the year Wofford had 30 wins, UNCG was the two, was the last team left out of the NCAA tournament. I mean, one and two was pretty much one and two. There wasn't a lot of argument in the one and twos, even when HSU and UNCG were the ones and twos. So I feel like they're just it's a little bit more balanced, you know, whether you want to say it's not as dominant or whatever, but it's a little more balanced. So I feel like it's not a guarantee that the one and two are going to meet in the championship game. We're mixing and matching. It's not only four downs, but there's fails. And there, oh, 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 why is the fail now? Second, third, fourth, fourth, You've lost first fail? First fail is gone, apparently. Second, third, fourth, and fourth fail are all the voters for the ACC preseason poll that picked Wake Forest to finish number 13. They are the first ACC team to 20 wins. They are a lot to make the NCAA tournament. Steve Forbes and company headed. To the big dance. What is more egregious, the voters voting Wake Forest 13 or ETSU in the spring season picked eighth of football? Both equally egregious, I thought. Mm. Boy, that's a great question. Because ETSU was coming off a horrific year, and they weren't doing the coaching change. But there were so many close Right, it was right there. So so I could see Wake Forest coaching change. I mean, I know, I know it's set year two for Coach Forbes. You know, they didn't play the full season last year. There's some things there. I thought Sean Reed put it very good on Twitter. He tweets about the Bucks all the time, very big Buck fan. And I'm not sure which national pundit it was, but they wrote a story about Wake and what they were doing and everything. And he finished the tweet by saying, who could have seen this coming? And Sean Reed simply said, every ETSU fan. Agreed. And it was Agreed. the absolute perfect response because if you were paying attention to this team, or you were paying attention to who Steve Forbes is around college basketball, how many people he knows, his demeanor, how he treats his players, the culture he builds, you had to have known when he left here that he was going to be able to do the things that he is doing. Now, would we have said with absolute confidence that it would have happened this big in year two? Eh, maybe not. But I would have said at the latest year three they're making the NCAA tournament. Now, he's a year ahead of schedule. Not a shock that he's surprising everybody, right? But who would have thought something like this could have been possible? Obviously, every ETSU fan, if you paid attention at Wichita State, if you paid attention at Tennessee, if you paid attention at Northwest Florida, wherever he's been, he has put together great things, no matter what role he has played. And what sealed it, and should have sealed it for everybody around the country, was what he did here at ETSU. And year one got to the title game. I mean. And who's back on his staff? First year, a down year, they're trying to turn the culture around. Jason Shea comes in, and those two being back together is a diabolical combination. It's proven from proven. everywhere that they have been together. The dubs are there. And I think the staff, when you throw Savage and Mackey in there as well, and just the chemistry of knowing what what and having, you know, the strength coach and having some other things that Frank Davis, the ops guy, having that continuity, I, 
obviously I think was the biggest issue for Shea in his tenure here, and I think Oliver getting his tenure started here. I think the same thing with Lamont Paris at Chattanooga. You know, you, Steve Forbes had a little bit of an inherent different animal because he was able to get Savage and Shea with him in Northwest Florida after Tennessee went down, but he had been on a staff with Shea at other places. So I, it's not a shock to me. I, it was fun to watch Kevin Keats get beat again because – I just remember uh, when he was at Wilmington and he did hand ETSU a pretty healthy loss in Wilmington. It was pretty smug about it, so I enjoyed watching uh, Steve Forbes get the better of uh, Kevin Keats. First time in school history, Wake Forest has had a 20-win basketball oh, team, 10-win yeah. football team in the yeah. same season. And you're right, B.J. Mackey and Brooks Sam should be overlooked. Who was the one that filled in for Coach Forbes when he had COVID earlier this year, got the win, yeah, substitute fashion, Savage. And then you and me, and I think many around college basketball, not just us, but we've been flabbergasted that B.J. Mackey has not – Found a place to be a head coach because he certainly deserved it. There's no question. 100%. He will be, my guess is he will get the next shot off that staff that will be the the head coach. And how Frank Davis isn't an assistant coach unless he just likes Ops Ward or is just begging one of those guys to leave so he can be elevated (laughs) somewhere is also, I think, amazing because I think Frank Davis is also. Uh, very good, not just Ops guy, but has a good basketball brain as well. Can you pull up the ACC men's basketball standings real quick? Uh, I, I want to make sure to really pound this point home to the ACC men's basketball preseason poll voters. Uh, pick number one. Okay. Duke, okay. Okay, yeah, not bad. Duke, pretty good. Florida State, number two. What's their record? Florida State, hold on, I'm trying to get, they got about 1%. Well, it's one that, well, because there's a couple half games in there. That's why it's a little different. Now, who's number two? Florida, Florida State. Florida State's currently six and seven. Sorry, I'm on it. North yeah. Carolina. North Carolina is nine and four in league play. I believe they were beaten by Wake Forest. They yeah, they're currently yeah. tied for fourth. Virginia. Virginia, uh, nine and five, a half game behind. So they're what is that? Sixth. Had, had a nice win at Duke, no doubt. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but yes, you're correct. Uh, behind Wake Forest, uh, Virginia Tech. Sorry, Mike Young. Ooh, the Hokies six and seven right there at Florida State. Not going well. Louisville. Louisville five and nine and fire to coach. So. Yeah, correct. Syracuse. Uh, sorry, excuse is at seven and six, slightly better than Florida State. And uh, if I remember right, um, well, I suppose they did. They split. They, no, split. they split. They split the first time. That's what I was remembering. Notre Dame. Yeah, they're pretty uh, good. Tie, okay. tie, tie, they're half game above Duke. So, so not the only fail in the ACC men's basketball preseason poll. That's true. Wake's only game behind them. NC State, which we all know the. Dead last. Dead last. Dead last. Georgia Tech. Next to dead last. Clemson. Clemson, 4-8. and eight. Miami. Uh, Miami's right there, a, a half game behind Wake Forest, 9-4 and four with North Carolina. So clearly the ACC Tied, for basketball preseason poll voters did a lot wrong. Nothing more egregious than picking Wake Forest 13. The only teams that were picked below them, Pitt and Boston College. The only teams. And they're still below them. So and they're still below That's good. Well done, Steve Wright's right. company. Wake Forest on the bandwagon. I'm driving at this point. All the fail downs. All right, what's up, time for a time? And when we come back, it is the Super Bowl props, bold predictions, all that more coming up. Santa Sidekick on the Bogget Air Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero emission electric vehicles. Harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. Shohei Otani, I don't know if you heard this yet. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down. Plus 10 yards. It's a buck 20 max. There's not a soul that can stop the big three in New Jersey. That's in five, baby. Literally, the last person on earth that should ever be considered the U.S. national team is JaVale McGee. NIL stands for never in life, as in never in life will NIL be a real thing. No, you can't. You cannot show me one guy more dedicated to the university than Damari Monsanto. He will go down as one of the best to ever do it at ETSU. A newly fit Jay Sandoz will never scuff another drive at Johnson City Country Club Senior Tour. Here we come. Hey. 
bold predictions. Uh, give, give the official rules that are unfair to me. A tradition unlike any other, the Super Bowl prop bold predictions on Santos and the Sidekick by the Sports Network. There are 10. I am behind in bold predictions 16 to 4. And how this works to make sure in a very fair way that there is a winner on each of these props. <laughs> we are going to have the first person in line, that be uh-huh. me, take a bold prediction of their choosing. That's very fair, if you ask me. And the other person then gets to lead the second time. But if I take something, you have to take the opposite. Okay. So I'm just going down the list here. But if I take I'm, something, then you get to take what I, I take. Have to take the, now I have to take the opposite. Okay, okay, okay. It's okay. Not, you know, it's fair here. Fair and balanced. All right. So I'm going down the list, and I'm thinking that the best possible thing for me to start with. You know, I'm behind, so you want parity, right? So I should go first. Um, Which is the only time you've gone first when you're behind. I'm thinking, uh, you know, Joe Burrow shown smoking a cigar. Noah's minus 700. Yes, plus 400. I take that. He's plus one. Well, it doesn't matter for you because you have to take yes. I have minus 700 on no. You have plus 400 on yes. Oh, so, oh that he smokes a cigar? Yeah, on TV. He'll be shown smoking a cigar. So uh, I, have, uh, I have no. I have yes, smoke cigar. You have yes, and I'll go ahead and let you uh, take the next one. Now, to be fair, I stack these pretty fairly. I-, I give you the coin toss. Heads or tails? Each are minus 104. Tails. Okay. I'm going to go just in order of when things may happen now the rest of the time, right? So right after the, or during, I suppose, the national anthem, number of planes during the national anthem flyover. I'm going to say six. And I don't have odds on this. I could not find odds on this. I just saw that it was a prop. Uh, I'll go five. So you have five? What formation would they be flying? Diamond? Mm. That doesn't make sense. I've got to figure that out. Okay, five for you. Five. The national anthem time. Always a favorite of mine. Mickey Guyton is singing. Now, I'm not from the world of country music. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, Apparently, it's some country singer. I'm sure there's people yelling at there. Uh, you can name about 97% of the singers now, and I have <laughs> I at any genre, I have no idea. I believe that to be true. Um, I have no idea, and I keep up with music pretty decently. 95 seconds is the over-under. I am going to give myself a bit of background here. At the 2021 Memorial Day concert, the anthem was 125, so I'm going to go under. Because 135 is the over-under. She's saying 125, I'm going under. So it's 95, so, so I've got over. You got over. Yeah, that's right. You, okay. you don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, Trey Young and his total points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. So all of those combined, this is yours to pick, so make sure you're writing these down. Rebounds, steals, points. Assists, blocks. and blocks. Okay. Or total points scored in the Super Bowl. Who the Hawks play? I don't know. I'm going to have to leave that up oh. to you. Uh, yeah. like to you actually have a clock, though, too. Ten seconds? Nine <laughs> seconds? Eight <laughs> seconds? <laughs> I do not know who they play. I do know that Trey Young, if you don't pay much attention to the NBA, I know that you're more of a FCS mid-major guy. Pretty good player. Uh, no, I, good, oh, you're aware. Okay, I just want to make sure. I, I do know I do know of Trey Young. Okay, uh, I, I don't sure. want to say uh, check his box score every okay. night. That would certainly be a lie, but the Hawks are at – oh, they're at my Celtics. I should uh, – oh, Wow, so you're going to take the under, I'm assuming. Uh, well, that wouldn't be the under. You're taking more points in the Super Bowl. Because you don't want to cheer for Trey Young, right? Super Bowl. I'm going to take Trey Young. You're going to take Trey Young. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to take that. That's incredible. Yeah, you're covering your bases. The Celtics win, and you get to celebrate. Yeah, okay. Uh, Gatorade, color, poured on the winning coach. Always a classic. I mean, this is a staple. Orange remains the favorite. It was last year. It is this year as well. Plus 200. Blue, plus 300. Any shade of green. So green, yellow, lime, is plus 450. Clear is plus 450. Red or pink is plus 800. And then purple, indigo, or violet I've also included because I'm a color savant. Purple, indigo, or violet plus 1,000. And I get to pick, so I'm going to go with the favorite orange. I'm going to go clear. I'm going to go clear. I like that. Uh, there is not a none option, so it will be a push if there's none. This is my favorite one. And I, did, I, kind of have to, I was kind of disappointed in the Internet. No but he's really disappointed in the internet at this point because it has everything. I was a little disappointed I had to scrap and scrounge for these profits because there are a lot of them out there, but uh, a lot of them are kind of lame. This one's great. The jersey number of the first touchdown score is over or under nine and a half. <laughs> that's a good one. I've never, I hadn't heard of that one. Yeah, before. that's um, 
Keep in mind, Jamar Chase, I believe, is number five. Right. Oh, sorry, number one, pardon me. Burrow's five, right? Uh, whatever. Watch that for your own. It's your, no, it's my go. I'm going to go. Not number nine. I don't know who number five is. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get the Rams. Is no cup. Because one of the wide Cup is ten. Right, one of the other wide outs, though, is a single digit. Backup is three. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and then I got a couple running backs, I think. Uh, I think Sony Michelle is 25, if I remember right. And then Cam Akers is 23, if I remember right. Okay, what do we have for the over again? I'm Joe going Mixon, over. I think, is, he's 20-something. I think he's 24, maybe. Over. You're going over. I lost my pen. Give me a little bit. You got another one? You got all the pens over. This is unbelievable. Uh, you're going over, so I'm going to go under. So I basically have Jamar Chase and Odell Beckham. Okay, that's the exactly what we'll have to do. Snoop Dogg's shoes. What color will they be at the beginning of halftime? Blue plus 275, gold plus 300, black plus 350, white plus 500, silver plus 600, orange plus 800, green plus 900, purple plus 900, red plus 1,000, pink plus 1,600, and because me and Snoop are tight, hang on a regular basis, obviously I'm going with green, because that would make a lot of sense. This is Snoop Dogg, if you catch my drift, basically. Going black, Raiders fan. Ooh, interesting. I can tell you one thing. I can see more him. That's true. And I, I, I get, I get. So pick up what you're uh, putting down, if you know what I mean. I don't ever pick it up. You probably do. <laughs> I don't. Never picked it up. I'm a military guy. Eminem's first song that he will perform at halftime. Oh Lose yourself. Okay. Plus two fifty. Now this is right in your wheelhouse because this was your rap era here. Mm-hmm. My name is plus two seventy five. Real Slim Shady, plus 300. And you can tell, Vegas is really hedging their odds here. Everything's about plus 250, 350. Without me, plus 325. And this one I thought was oddly included. Can you imagine him opening with Stan? Plus 500. That would be a little bit of a downer. I don't think he's opening with Stan. uh, I should have been writing this down. Here's here's the one I thought you were going to say, and he didn't. I thought they would do maybe, uh, what was the one with the... The scene with the Aerosmith or whatever, because I like to do the combo. Yes, videos. right. So I'm yes. shocked that they they either have sing insight, right? right. And so generally, when they do those, right, they usually bring somebody in. When they do those, can they really add more people? I don't they have think, a ton of people. Okay, so uh, you can pick one that's not on the list. Feel free. Okay, so it's lose. Your, say it again. Lose Real yourself. Quick. You can go. You can go fast. My name is plus two seventy five. Real Slim Shady plus three hundred. Without me, plus three twenty five. Doesn't matter. You're not picking stick. It's either. It's one of the first two. Lose yourself or my name is. They. Slaving over this decision. I'm going to go my name is. My name. Wow. Oh, I love that I have the favorite here. I'm going with Lose Yourself. Final one. And let's be clear here. In order for you to get one of these right, they both have to be right. So we're going winner and the over-under. The over-under is 48 and a half, and then you just pick who your winner is going to be. We're not doing money line. Lo- or sorry, we're not doing spread. We're just going to do money line. So winner and the over-under if you get one of them right, one but get the other wrong. You get wrong. If I get one of them right, then I get both. Okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Who's that? That's me. Um, I'm going to go with the Rams and over. Rams under. Rams under. Very good. Very good. Okay. So uh, when the Bengals win, we both lose. That's right. Yes. Uh, that's fun. I love this. Ten. So you've got heads, i got tails. Planes, we differ. Over, under. You've got the over on the anthem time. You took Trey Young. I can't believe it. I took the points in the Super Bowl. Uh, clear Gatorade for you. Orange for me. Jersey number of the touchdown score, the first touchdown score, over, under, nine and a half. You went over, I went under. Snoop Dogg's shoes. I can't believe that you didn't go green. Uh, black is what you went with. I went with green. My name is, is what you said for Eminem's song. Lose yourself for me, Joe Burrow. Yes. And for me, no on the cigar. Mm-hmm. Going to be showing right, right. the cigar. Of course, I don't think either of us would have said yes if we had a choice because you don't think the Bengals are going to win either and you're not going to smoke a cigar after a loss. And the winner, plus the over under Rams under and Rams over for me. Got the Rams under, I have the Rams under. That being said, for uh, all the haters out there about the Southern Conference is down there still, depending on which ranking you want to look at. Yeah, Listen to this close. Four different ones there, either 10th or 11th, and four different See? rankings as a conference. Oh, they're down. 
tough year for the SoCon. Boy, Jack, who are they in front of? Is that enough. what you want to know? They are better than in some the Atlantic 10, some Conference USA, CAA, the MAC, the Missouri Valley, Sunbelt, WAC. Yeah, get you some WAC. MAC, Ivy, Big West, Summit, Ohio Valley, A-Sun, Big Sky, American East, Big South, Horizon, Patriot, Northeast, Southland, the XY. Down year ago. Yeah, terrible. Down year. Oh, Chad they're, they're nipping on the There's heels no of Atlantic 10, American, and, and the West they're Coast. They're not going to do anything in the tournament. Who has Gonzaga, which is uh, a little better this year. Unbelievable. So. All right. We'll have our post-Super Bowl edition Tuesday. Fuck it, right now,